calling all consumer goods, business owners, and marketing professionals. Does planning content ahead of time stress you out? Do you want to run Instagram and Facebook ads, but just aren't sure where to start? If your answer is yes and yes, then our mini course was made for you. It's 100% free and packed with essential tactics that you can implement as soon as today. To join in, visit our website at umaimarketing.com slash mini course. All right, let's get on with the pod. Welcome to the Umai Social Circle, where we talk consumer goods marketing tips to help business owners and marketers grow. We're Karen and Allison, co-founders of Umai, and we're being joined by Allison Ball, or Allie for short. She helps CPG brands launch products, get on the retail shelf, increase sales, streamline sales systems. She is the food biz whiz. Thank you for joining us, Allie. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to, to hang out with you, ladies. Yeah, well... Let's let's get into it. So we're going to start a little diving into your background. Can you tell us a little bit more about your time as a grocery buyer, how it all got started? Yeah, absolutely. So I was a grocery buyer for a long time here in San Francisco at Buy Right Market on 18th Street back when it was a single location. It was a 3,000 square foot specialty store. And my role was to figure out what the heck we were going to put on our shelves and how we were going to have high sales once I put them there. And so I was in charge of, you know, a lot of different categories, but typically like within the grocery department. So things like coffee, chocolate, confections, dairy, refrigerated beverage, bread, snacks. I mean, like you name it. I think like all the good things of the store and Byright was this really, it still is this really special place that has a unique product assortment. So oftentimes the brands that I was working with were brand new to the food and beverage industry. Like they, Byright was their holy grail. And oftentimes we were the first wholesale account for lots of brands. And in that, like you guys can imagine, a lot of brands did not know what they were doing. So my job was to help figure out, help them figure out how to not only succeed on our shelves, but how to succeed in the world of wholesale, you know, out in the wild, you know, being on the shelves at Buy Right was not going to sustain them in their business. So I did that for a long time and I absolutely loved it. It was, it was really, really wonderful to have that almost like an in-house consulting role for Buy Right. They don't do that anymore. They don't have the capacity anymore, but it was a really special time. And then my role shifted. We decided to open Byrate Divisadero, which was across town. And I became focused on being head of grocery and the retail store manager of that location. So I focused solely on the profit and loss of our grocery department and making sure that we were making money, that we were a profitable department. And so in that, you know, I was head down in spreadsheets all day long. And while it was really, really valuable, I really missed working directly with producers. So I left by right about seven years ago and started my consulting business, focused on helping producers understand how to get on the retail shelf and how to sell through your once they do. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to dive more into that consulting. But first of all, I would love to know more, like, how did you choose the products that you decided to bring into buy, right? Like maybe three things that you, you look for. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. I feel like no one's like, no one's asked me that in a really long time. <laughs> and I think the, the biggest thing is figuring out, and there are lots of ways to do this, but figuring out if I take a chance on this product, is it going to help me achieve my category goals as a buyer? So as a buyer, we're always 
looking at our sales numbers. We're always looking at our profit margins. And we want to make sure that every single product that we put on the retail shelf does its job, right? Which is either to bring higher sales or bring more margin to the category. Sometimes there are other like initiatives within a grocery department, but in general, that's what it is. Like, is this product going to help me meet my goals as a buyer? And so, you know, a product might sell through because of a really strong brand. They might sell through because of a community connection that they have. Again, that's kind of been branding, but you know, a community place. They might sell through because it's really, really delicious. Although that's that's not usually why it's selling. So yeah, typically like the the like number one question is whether or not it's going to help me as a buyer hit my category goals. That's- That's very cool. And I love that you mentioned strong branding. I think we see that a lot that that maybe gets overlooked. And, you know, without trialing the product, is it like you said, is it delicious? How do you know until you buy it? Um, The brand is, you know, what makes someone, you know, draws their eye and what's what, what makes them pull it off the shelf a lot of times. Totally. And let me just say this about like the deliciousness too, right? That when I was a buyer and I would get these wholesale pitches that would be like, you know, oh, Allie, like you've, you've got to try my cold pressed juice. It's so delicious. You know, in over the phone, I'd be like rolling my eyes and I'm like, yeah, sure. Like you and every other juice brand that pitched to me this week, if you are not in the business of thinking that your product is delicious, then you're in the wrong business, right? Like deliciousness, tasty products are the baseline here. And so you've got to figure out some other reason to attract that buyer's attention. And so it, it you know, with my clients, I, we really focus on this. Like what, what is the reason that that buyer is going to say yes, that has nothing to do with the taste of your product because taste, you know, taste is the baseline and taste is subjective. So those are not the ways, <laughs> those are not the ways to pitch to a buyer. I love oh, that. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit more about how that pivoted into the role of consulting? Yeah, sure. So when I was at Byrite, I, I'm like holding my heart here. Like I was heartbroken to see these brands, these really, you know, values oriented brands or, you know, frankly, really delicious brands or really thoughtful brands not work on our shelves. And it wasn't because the, it wasn't because the founder wasn't passionate or the founder, like, you know, I was going to say, didn't know what they're doing, but like that, that was one of the reasons. And I was like, I've, I have to, if I want to make an impact in this industry, I have to be the person who like pulls the curtain back on what the heck goes on inside the brains of a wholesale buyer and how brands can, can shift their pitches, shift their positioning to actually stand out in that sea of you know, thousands of pitches that that buyer may receive. So that really was the motivation, Karen, that like, I knew that if I, if I wanted to impact our industry, that was the way to do it, to help the help on the brand side. It's such a good opportunity. You were at such like a specialty store. That's yeah. it's your exact demographic. I yeah, what a totally. great experience to have that. Like not a lot of people are going to have. Totally. And it's, I'll say two things there. First off, it's really hard to capture the attention, to hold the attention of a grocery buyer. I say grocery, but you know, any buyer, right? Produce buyer, meat buyer, frozen buyer, whatever. Buyers are busy and they don't have the time of day to, you know, go back and forth and back and forth with brands. And so, you know, knowing that it's, it's really hard to get the buyer's ear and it's really hard to get the buyers to, to talk. And so I was like, if I can be that buyer who is public facing, then, then I can do everyone a favor. Uh, So that was one thing. 
And then two, when I left Byrite, for the first few years of my consulting, I actually worked with retail stores across the United States, helping train their buying teams and helping train with category reviews and product assortment and you know uh, grocery teams and merchandising and things like that. It was really neat to take my experience at Byrite and apply it to retail stores across the country and realize that we did some things really well at Byrite and we did other things that or we did things where we could have improved, you know, based on the learnings that I had from other retail stores. And all in, it really allowed me to feel very confident helping my the brand clients that I had as I saw these like universal patterns in retail stores ac- around the country. Yeah, very cool. I mean, being the buyer at a grocery store, I one of my fondest memories of going to conventions, like food conventions and Expo West was I would memorize the buyer's names and their photos. I wanted to prove that I was like of worth at these conventions. I would just be like on the lookout and just be like elbowing people when they came down. So it's, it's, it is, it's hard to get in front of these buyers. Totally. I mean, when we used to walk the show, like the, the floor at fancy food, and this is way back when this is like, I don't know, 2009 and maybe it was my first fancy food. And I remember Raf, the like head, head buyer with me was like, Oh, Allie, like everybody wants to get in buy, right? Like you should hide your badge, like <laughs> flip it over or like scratch out buy, right. Or like do something Classic. to hide your identity. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God. Like it, it seems so extreme, but it's like, yeah, if you meet thousands of people over that weekend, like you just, you know, you don't have the capacity to follow up on all those leads. So yeah, there is like a mystery to, of the grocery buyer, right? Yeah. There's just like this aura that's, yeah. that surrounds you. Yeah, that's <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. So next for you after consulting was your course retail ready. Yeah. So how did you come up with, okay, I, was it just like there was not enough of you and you had to put it down to reach more people? How did you come up with the course, I guess? Yeah, that was definitely part of it. But when I had, I was a few years into consulting with brands and I realized two things. One, most brands, most young brands were getting stuck at the same areas in their growth, right? They were, they, they were making the same problem, challenges, like having the same challenges early on in their growth. and they all felt like they were alone and they were the only ones like struggling through this, this thing. And I was like, I am literally helping these brands with the same exact things. Like I really was developing this process that we followed with each client. So I realized that, that like there were these common struggles for brands. And I also realized that emerging brands don't have that much money. Right. And so I'm like, I've got to, you know, I had my hourly and like package consulting rate. I'm like, a lot of the brands just can't frankly afford one-on-one consulting. So how can I create a program where I can impact more brands at a lower price point and still help them find success in their food business journey? So yeah, so we launched Retail Ready about five years ago. When I first launched it, it was a live course. So it was like cohort style where everybody started and stopped on the same day. Like you guys have, you guys know how this goes, right? And it was a six week program and I loved it. I would, I would teach it three or four times a year. And that was just the, the highlight of my year. Even after teaching it the first time, I was like, oh, there is something here. Like I I can see, I wasn't exactly sure how it would evolve, but I was like, there is, there is something really, really magical in getting these brands together and, and doing this group 
um, group education. I love that. And that's something that we talk about a lot in the CPG world is there's a really great level of community. So just that community that you're giving in the course, I'm sure it's just helping people exceed and succeed beyond totally. And it's, you know, it's wild now. So in, so when you enroll in retail ready, you get lifetime access to everything, including that community. So like we are a group of over 600 brands. So not everybody like comes into our private community. They just, some people just prefer not to, and that's fine, but we have about 600 people in our private student group who are interacting with each other on, you know, on posts, they're doing giveaways, they're doing collaborations, they're sourcing ingredients from each other. I mean, it's very, very cool to see. I did not imagine that when I, when I first started retail ready. That's awesome. Yeah. The community of CPG yeah. is so powerful, no matter where you are or who you are, or what you're selling or what your background is. So very yeah. cool. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more, like this podcast is for CPG business owners and marketers that who should be taking your retail ready class. Yeah. Thank you for asking. That's a great question because we are really clear on who is a good fit and who is not a good fit. Because at the end of the day, like if folks aren't a good fit for retail ready, I don't have a business, right? Like we have to make sure that they are successful when they come into retail ready. So the number one thing we say is that it is for producers who are already in production of their packaged food or beverage or supplement product or taxable grocery, like basically anything that is sold on a grocery shelf, Uh, but they have to be in production because I'm going to tell you, like as a former grocery buyer, I don't know how to (laughs) develop a product in a commercial kitchen. I don't know how to extend your shelf life. I don't know how to, you know, source your, I don't know, your packaging that needs to like hold out moisture, right? Like that is, that is not my area of expertise, nor do I want it to be. So once a producer, once a brand already knows their production, knows how they are going to produce their product. Hopefully you're already in production. You can come into retail ready and find success. And it's cool because we have some brands who literally like join retail ready right as they're doing their first production run. And we have other brands who have been in business 15, 20 years who realize that they need to keep up to date with changes in our industry. And they either come in themselves or they send a sales manager or a new sales rep into retail ready so they can be really up to date on what's shifting in our industry. So it's neat to see people at all different stages of their growth. That's so smart. Having an avenue where people seasoned can come in and get up to date because this our industries are always changing. It's always smart for continued education, which we always preach. Totally. So I always use um, Banyan Botanicals as an example here. They have been around for decades and they have like over 200 SKUs, you know, huge product assortment. And they came into retail ready about a year ago before COVID hit. And they, you could just see the light bulbs going off in their (laughs) marketing manager's head. And she was like, oh shoot, like I got to get with it. Like I got to change some strategy here in order to keep the sales high. So it's neat how, it's really neat how you can continue to learn at any stage of your business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I imagine, yeah, I imagine the larger guys are learning a lot from the smaller guys on, you know, innovation and and vice, obviously vice versa. So I I think that's really neat. For sure. I think, you know, smaller, Sorry to interrupt you, but a smaller brand in a way feels like they can take more risk 
right? Like as a smaller mm-hmm. producer, you're like, who cares if I'm like going to use this weird filter and go live? Like I'm the founder. I can do whatever I want. And like, when was last, last time you saw like, I don't know, the founder of craft, like doing exactly. Instagram, like a reel with a weird filter on, right? Like it doesn't happen. And so I think the the bigger brands can really learn from the smaller ones in terms of seeing what, you know, how, how to connect with consumers, how to be an innovative brand, how to be more flexible in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. And you mentioned, and without giving too much away about, you know, what you are teaching people in retail ready, but you mentioned you were seeing the same problems over and over where brands were getting stuck. So what, what are those general problems that brands have? Good question. Um, The first one is not understanding your numbers. And I'm sure you guys see this too, right? Where, where brands come in and they're like, oh yeah, sales are great. Like we're, we're selling out every week. Like we're doing great, like blah, blah. And then they, they do or don't like look at their numbers and they realize that they aren't making money, right? Revenue can be high, sales can be high, and the profit still doesn't necessarily follow, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think it's really important to to know your numbers from a profit, from a profitability standpoint, rather than just focusing on sales, focusing on revenue, because like that's not the full picture of what's going on in your business. So, so often I see brands who, who wake up three years into their life cycle and realize that they have just created a really expensive hobby and that they are like not making money in their business. So that's mistake number one, like not really, really knowing your numbers or like, I'll give one other example and not knowing your numbers that we see a lot in retail ready is brands come in, you know, maybe they're in year three or four and they're ready to bring on a broker or a distributor and they go and, you know, start shopping around and they realize oh my gosh, like this broker, or excuse me, this distributor is going to take 20% of my margin. Like I don't have that money. And then they're stuck, right? It's like, what do you do? If you simply like don't have the money, I mean, we've got some strategies on what you do when it comes to that in inside of retail ready, but you've got to make a decision on, on whether or not you, you move forward in that route. So I would say like knowing your numbers from the beginning, making sure that you're adding broker and distributor margin from the beginning, you guys would probably say like making sure you're adding marketing dollars from the beginning. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So not knowing your numbers, that's a, that's a really big one. I've got, I'll, I'll give four maybe. Um, the second one that we see is not understanding how to pitch to buyers so that they actually say yes. Right. And we, Alison, you asked a question around that, like, in the beginning about like what I looked for when I was a buyer, but I really want to emphasize that, that, that so many brands make their pitch all about them and why their product is so amazing and why, like why we should buy it and why it's delicious and look at our sourcing and look at our giving back and like all of those things. But at the end of the day, the grocery buyer does not care about that right? They care about whether or not your product is going to sell on the shelf. So a big mistake that I see is simply in the way that brands are pitching their products to accounts in the first place. So if you, I'll say this, like if you're listening to this, to this uh, podcast and buyers aren't calling you back, you're dropping off samples and then they just go missing 
or like you don't know if buyers tried them or not. You're just like, what's, you know, what's going on with my samples? Where are they? If you aren't sure if buyers are opening your emails or they're never, literally never writing you back or answering your phone calls, like it's probably because you are pitching incorrectly, that you are not crafting a pitch that is frankly of any interest to that buyer. So that's a big one. That's such great advice because like people love talking about themselves so very much that it's nice to have a reminder to just step back and give them a reason, a real reason why they should bring you in. Totally. And I I think one of the challenges are like, I know why this happens, right? It's because we, we as brands and, you know, myself included, are all about like what we can do for the end user, right? Like how can I help emerging food and beverage brands? Like how can you guys help emerging food and beverage brands? It's all about like what we can do for that end user. And so brands in general, as they're developing all of their marketing materials, as they're designing their websites, as they're doing their, you know, onboarding email sequences or their banning cart series and all of those things, it's all about the consumer. It's all about the person who is going to eat or drink or use their product. And that is a very different pitch than the pitch that you want to make to the grocery buyer or to that wholesale account, right? Because instead of, instead of positioning it with, you know, we're so delicious, we're going to help boost your immunity. We're going to make you run faster, right? Like the the grocery buyer does not care about that. They just want to know if it's going to sell on their shelf. So I think it's just that subtle shift away from what we've been classically trained to do, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So mistake number three, um, not having a plan for getting off the shelf. And this is really the challenge that I would see at Byright, right? Where I would put these really incredible brands on our shelf and then they would just sit there, right? Like (laughs) it's really hard to change consumer behavior. It's really hard to get people to try new brands and you know, put something in their shopping basket or in their online basket that they're not already in the habit of of consuming. And um, if you land on wholesale shelves, whether that is an online wholesale shelf or a brick and mortar wholesale shelf, you have to sell once you get there, right? We talked about this at the beginning that your role as a brand, it needs to be the high sales, right? Or high margin. And if you are not performing, you're going to get discontinued right? There's only so long that that buyer is going to let you use that valuable real estate without performing. And so one of the challenges that I see is is that brands put so much effort into getting on the shelf and then they don't have a plan for moving once they do. And so, you know, typically that's where a marketing strategy comes into play, right? Like figure out how you are going to get those people to take a chance on your product once you're actually on the shelf. Yeah. I can see that being a big pain point is, I mean, it's, very difficult to get to talk to the buyer to get on the shelf like a lot of people probably think okay my work is done like let's move on but it's like just getting started right totally and like I don't want to say it in a scary way right like we don't want to be like (laughs) the work is just beginning but like (laughs) it's kind of like we said earlier like at each stage of business there's a different challenge to overcome. Mm -hmm. And so like challenge number, well, challenge number one is building this brand and this product and understanding your numbers. Challenge number two is getting into the accounts where your dream customers are shopping. And then challenge number three is actually connecting with those consumers and getting them to whip out their wallets and like pay for your products. Right. Okay. I'll I'll give you my last mistake. The last mistake that I see (laughs) all the time 
is, especially in COVID, actually, this is like, I don't want to say it's very particular to last year, but so often I see brands expand too quickly. Mm -hmm. And, and what I mean by that is a brand, you know, so it, it all, they almost feel like an overnight success, right? We've seen lots of brands like this, especially with the rise of digitally native brands where, where brands will launch all of a sudden they're all over your Instagram feed. They're like, you know, all over the place. Um, and they feel like an overnight success and they attract a lot of attention uh, potentially from wholesale accounts. And sure enough, there there's demand for those brands all across the country. And the challenge here, again, goes back to this idea that it's hard to sell once you get on the shelf. And so when you expand too quickly, and usually I see this being like too quickly, like too far regionally, like outside of your region or too far like across the country or you're like shipping and all of those, the mm-hmm. pace in which you can figure out your logistics does not match the pace at which your product is in demand. And so the problem is then you have out of stocks, you can't figure out how to ship your product around the country. You can't, or you land on the shelf and it's not selling and you don't have any sort of strategy to fulfill that order that's in DC when you live in LA, right? So expanding too quickly is, is a is a problem that I see brands make over and over again. And then sure enough, like what happens is you get discontinued because you're either not selling or you're like too high maintenance with all of the, the problems that you bring in, in getting your product to their shelves. Oh man, you, you want to say it's a good problem to have, but it's not. It's just a problem that you should not want to have. <laughs> yeah, and I think it happens... I think it happens for two reasons. I think, I think first off, it happens because of ego, right? Like when I'll just like use this imaginary brand, right? Like, again, if you're a brand in LA and like you're actually, let's flip this. If you're a brand in DC and Erwan in LA reaches out to you and is like, Hey, we love your cold pressed juice. Can we sell it in our, you know, in our locations? It's really freaking flattering, right? And you're like, Erwan loves me. Like, oh my gosh, the like natural foods Mecca. Like, of course I should say yes. And then you're like, oh gosh. I mean, if I could swear on the, I don't know if I can swear on your show, but if I could swear, I would like, I would be swearing right now where you're like, oh shoot. Like, how are we (laughs) going to get this product refrigerated across the country and fulfill these, you know, seven locations that are moving at a really fast rate. So I think it's ego, right? We're like, oh, it's so flattering that this account wants me. And then I also think it happens because when we're young brands, a sale is a sale, right? And you're like, I just need sales, just need revenue. Like I will take any order just to like, up my cash flow without really realizing that like bigger picture challenge that it brings to to your brand. So many moving so many moving parts, so many moving pieces. I mean, we our specialty is in marketing, but when you really zoom out to all of the logistics that go into it, it's just it's it's shocking that these people can do this with one person teams. With even two person teams. I'm like I know we have, we have a few retail ready students who have built literally like multi-million dollar brands solo. Like oh my one gosh. person, I, wow. I often recommend a co-founder. I think that can be very helpful, but um, yeah, these, these, I mean, I'm going to say they're like mostly women, these like amazing women who are building these brands that are 
multi-million dollar brands who, I mean, I'll just say maybe it's their superpower where they already know how to like organize and like get so much stuff done um, that they can do it solo until they get to a certain point. And I think Karen, you're right. Like there's probably a breaking point there where going solo is, is not sustainable, right? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're not one of those mega yeah. human, amazing <laughs> specialty people that I can't even wrap my head around. Um, so like, what are some things that small to medium sized CPGs can do to experience that retail growth to mm-hmm. actually get pulled off the shelf? Yeah. So there's a few things. And the first one, it sounds, it sounds so simple, but it's hard to do. And you guys, you guys know this is to making sure, making sure that you are building a brand and not just a product line. And, you know, I will say, like, I say this every freaking day in retail ready and, and so, and people still really, really get stuck here, right? They're like, but my salsa line is delicious, but my hot sauce is so unique. And at the end of the day, like if you've got a salsa line or a hot sauce line or a CBD beverage line, I don't care what category you're in. If you are not building a brand that connects with your consumers at every single touch point, it's really hard to create create those loyal consumers who purchase over and over again. Right. I'm sure you guys see it with your clients too. Absolutely. It's we, it's we, everybody says it. We always say it. It's you're selling your brand. You're not selling your product. Yeah. Right. Because you think about that, that retail shelf, right? Like last time, I mean, anytime I go into a store and I just look at this wall of product, it's like, how the heck do we make a decision on, you know, one nutrition bar over another? It is, it's almost always because of brand and whether it is because of the physical packaging, because we're like literally there on the shelf and we're looking, or maybe it is that we've been served some really wonderful targeted ads that help us realize that we that that brand, that bar is the bar for us. And then we go and, you know, recognize it on the shelf. Like that's brand too. It's got to go back to building that community with your consumers so that you get those, again, those repeat purchases over and over again. Yeah. That just triggered something in me. I'm like, Allison, is there like a category for (laughs) targeting grocery buyers? Are we missing something here? Oh, that's (laughs) yeah. Actually, I feel like that's a whole other uh, podcast. Maybe you guys can come on my podcast and talk about this, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that would be really interesting. And we have had retail ready students who have success securing wholesale accounts, like big, big wholesale accounts through the DMs, like on through Facebook connections and stuff. Like there is a whole strategy for that, which is wild. And I don't like, you have to know what you're doing, right? Like if I were a grocery buyer and like a mediocre brand started DMing me and like asked me to carry their products, like I might feel a little hesitant. So like, again, there's gotta be a, a strategy here, but like we are seeing alternative ways to get on wholesale shelves. So yeah, running ads to grocery buyers would be, that'd be interesting. Hmm. I just love the scrappiness. I love that people are like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to, I'm going to Google this person, find their Facebook and just, you know, just get scrappy. Yeah. Yeah. But um, have you guys heard of the Chrome extension that's called clear bit connect? No. Okay. So I love a good Chrome extension. So this like might send some people's like creepy radar off, but essentially what it is, is a, um, 
a Chrome extension that you can put into your Gmail and you can put in any website. So like you could put in alleyball.com and it'll pull up all of the email addresses associated with that website. And so Oh. You like you could do it for me and you could be like, oh, here's clearly like Allie's customer support one. Here's her like, I don't know, here's her retail ready one. Here's her like personal one. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> it's it's really neat. I mean, it's it's harder when you're trying to find, let's say, your category manager for a regional Whole Foods, right? Like that becomes a little more challenging with Clearbit Connect. But if you're trying to like get into the independent that's down the street, like by all means, put in that URL and see what comes up. What a hot tip. I love that. <laughs> but beyond, beyond, you know, marketing to help push um, products off shelves, what are, what should brands be asking or talking with their buyers about um, that they generally aren't? Yeah. So we have something inside of retail ready that I love and it's called the reorder checklist. And it is essentially these like steps that you take with every new wholesale account in order to expedite the reorder. Because when that buyer takes the risk and says yes, and puts you on their shelf, they are anxious until the reorder happens because they're like, Oh, like, did I make a mistake? Is this going to work? Like, oh gosh, like are, are my expectations going to be met? And so when, they, when they, they're when they able to place that reorder, like lets a little bit of weight off their shoulders where they're like, oh, actually like this was a good idea. Like this is selling well, <laughs> I made a good choice. And so what you wanna do as a brand is really like do everything in your ability to get that, that first reorder and then obviously subsequent reorders as fast as possible. One, because it gets the buyer like off your back a bit, right? Like it like eases up on that relationship. And two, like you want the sale, right? You want sales. So, so Allison, back to your question on like how you go about doing that and like what you need to do with that buyer from the beginning, it's really connecting with them and realizing that that wholesale relationship is just that it's a relationship. It's a partnership. I think so often brands feel like buyers are gatekeepers to their success. And they're like, Oh, like if they, if that's cranky buyer would just put me on the shelf, like I could prove them wrong. And like, you know, they'll see. (laughs) And I think what is much more effective is approaching that buyer and saying, Hey, like I am committed to this partnership. We both want the same things, right? We both want high sales. So how can we come together to make this part this this partnership happen? To this to make this partnership a success. So that might even be, I mean, I hate that I'm just coming back to marketing, but like it might be being doing a marketing strategy that happens both from the brand side and the store side. It might be coming in and or sending in the case of COVID, samples to all of the grocery team who are literally stocking your product so they know mm-hmm. how it tastes. It might be, you know, not now, but in the future, again, like doing demos. It might be having a promotional budget where you can offer, you know, 20% off coupon for the first 30 days that you're on the shelf, whatever it is. But it has to go back to that, that idea that it is a partnership and that you and that buyer have ultimately have the same goals. Yeah. Uh, And speaking about like temporary price reductions and coupons, do you advise or do you think that brands should have these a certain amount of times a year or when they're first getting on the shelf? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so sometimes brands get mad when I say this, right? They're like, Allie, I'm working so hard. I'm making such slim margins. Like I don't have the money to just like blow on sales all the time. And that's not what we're talking about, right? Like there, you don't, I don't advise that, that you go on promotion all the time. We don't want to train our shoppers to wait for us to go on sale right? That's not what we want to do here. I actually think, let me use this example. The other day, I guess it was, what is time? This was a few weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like pulled into the parking lot at Bed Bath & Beyond and I was like ready to like go in and get my like new shower curtain liner. And I realized that I forgot my stupid 20% off coupons like at home. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not going, I'm not going to do it. Like, I'm not going to go buy that shower curtain liner. Cause I don't have my 20% off coupon, which was so stupid, but it really highlighted the example of like bed, bath and beyond has, you know, I'm sure it's part of their entire strategy, but they they've created this brand where the consumer expects 20% off or those $5 off or $10 off coupons every single time they shop. So when they, when we pay full price for an item at Bed Bath & Beyond, we feel like we have been ripped off, right? I feel good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is such a good example. <laughs> I'm not going into a BB&B without that 20% off coupon. No. And so, you know, I like text my mom and I was like, oh, like I'm just in the parking lot of Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> don't you know they have digital coupons? I was like, oh, okay. Problem solved. Of course they have digital coupons. Like I can get my new shower curtain. Like the world is fine. But yeah, it really was such an example to me for like, don't, don't create a brand that is a, unless you want, right. And again, like bigger picture strategy, but it's really hard to create a brand that's constantly on sale. So what I recommend instead is some sort of quarterly promotion. I think once a quarter is a wonderful way to show your wholesale accounts that you support your brand once you get on the shelf. And it, it varies from brand to brand, like how much that promotion needs to be, whether it can, can be 10, you know, 10% off it, maybe it's a 50 cent reduction. Like it just, there's some strategy there, but I think quarterly for sure, for sure. And then always Karen, I'm so glad that you asked this, but I always think the fastest way to get a buyer to say yes to putting your product on their shelf is to offer some sort of temporary price reduction within with the first order. So Mm. what, what we like to do is some sort of strategy. And again, like customize it to your own brand, like how, how you see fit, but you could do something like, okay. Um, if you order by April 1st, we will give you 20% off and free shipping on the first six cases. Or like something like that, like put, I mean, you guys know this, right? Like put some urgency Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. on that buyer and get them on that wholesale buyer and get them to make a move and and place that first order. Um, So I always do some sort of, some sort of intro offer. I love that. I, I don't think it's like wild, widely known that you can be that direct with oh, your yeah. buyer and give them like, yeah. And I don't think people are, by the it's, it's not, yeah. it's not known at all. And like, this is, this is one of the things that I love so much about retail ready, right? It's like, once you hear it, you know, I mean, Alice and I saw you, you're like, oh, right. Like, duh, that makes so much sense. Like, let's just do that. Um, and I like to, I love seeing those light bulbs go off like in my students' brains, when we teach them things that aren't necessarily 
complicated. It doesn't have to shift your entire strategy. We're not asking you to like redo your product line and redo your packaging and redo your you know, case size. We're just asking, asking you, showing you how to make subtle shifts that can really move the needle in your business. It's cool. That's it. That's exactly right. I love that. I love how you put that. So beyond running a promo, how else can these smaller CPG brands stand out on the shelves um, or in general from their bigger competitors? Yeah, that's a, that's like the million dollar question, right? It's like, how the heck am I going to compete? Exactly. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? So I think, you know, um, (laughs) we talked, we talked like a little bit about this at the beginning, but really figuring out or like using your smallness to your advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Staying, and we saw a lot of this uh, when when COVID went COVID went down, right? As a small brand, often oftentimes my students were able to react so much faster and be so much more nimble than these big brands, right? Like I just imagine a <laughs> like product development meeting at craft where you you probably have like a dozen people sitting around the table offering opinions on whether or not you should put red or blue on the packaging. And like that slows you down immensely. And so for these smaller brands, I think one of the, one of the big advantages they had over the past year was just the ability to make decisions so quickly and move along. Right. So one, I think like really thinking about your seeing your smallness as an advantage rather than a disadvantage, both in reacting faster to things and creating this Again, like smaller, like more intimate, more authentic connection with your consumers. And again, like we, we talked about that a little bit at the beginning, but like, I love it when brands feel like real people. I love it when I know the founders behind the brand. I love it when I'm on social media and I see the, the founders doing, you know, lives or like collaborations or just showing their faces. And that doesn't really happen with, with bigger brands so much. So really, really connecting with consumers in a more authentic way that the bigger brands simply can't. Like being there, being nimble and showing up in in ways that bigger brands can't. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. And it's, I think that goes beyond retail, as you're you're saying, it goes beyond anything. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but like that is one of the biggest things that we preach as well with D to C Um, you have your ability to show up and connect with your consumer even more. So now that people are on social media all the time, because of COVID, you can get on video and talk directly to the person that is your ideal customer and craft's not going to do that. So totally definitely agree. I think one of the silver linings of COVID too, is that at least in the online space, it really leveled the playing field where, yeah it was totally appropriate for brands to show up online imperfectly or imperfectly online, right? Like I, way back when COVID like first hit, Miyoko from Miyoko's Creamery, a vegan, you know, butter and dairy, non-dairy brand here in the Bay Area, she did, I can't forget this. She did a series. So it's like a big brand. She is like the very like well put together woman who is like always showing up and like 
completely like professional videos and like, you know, full on photo shoots and tours and like all of the things. Right. And so right when COVID went down, she did a series of, uh, it was either Facebook lives or IGTV where she was in her home kitchen in the Bay area. And she was just like cooking with her products and literally like her cats were like walking across the counter. <laughs> and at one point she was like, Oh, and here's some cat hair, like in the dish. I'm like, my God, like this is such a great example of something that would never have happened in, you know, 2019. Miyoko's like would have never shown up, you know, without a full on camera crew and like the cats at the like cat sitter's house. Right. Um, (laughs) So like, I love, I love this idea that the playing field has been leveled in a way and, and brands are able to show up imperfectly. Absolutely. I I mean, we say that we preach it to our D2C clients, of course, but proof here that this is helping with retail as well. The buyers, the they see this, they see your content, they see how you're showing up. And I think that that's a really good note to keep pushing it. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's, I don't know, the, there have been some silver linings of COVID for specifically for the CPG industry. And I pulled up a stat from IRI. Um, they just published a report a couple of weeks ago. I can link it for you guys. But they did a report that said that in 2020, smaller, small and extra small CPG and private label manufacturers gained $12.1 billion in sales, like took away $12.1 billion in sales from big food. Is that crazy? Ooh, I just got chills. Is that crazy? (laughs) One one year, over $12 billion uh, were t- was were taken away from like those you know big commodity brands and captured by literally they said they called it small and extra small. <laughs> I was like, oh my people, I love that. I usually say small and medium, but no, it's Me small too. and extra small. Me I too. Like I was like, do I need to change my marketing <laughs> strategy where I talk about small and extra small because it sounds kind of cute. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, with COVID and all of the changes that happened in the retail space and in the grocery space, like what are your thoughts on CPG in retail moving forward? Yeah. Oh, big question. (laughs) One of the big things to realize is that shoppers, (laughs) shoppers are so much more savvy and brands have to be so much more savvy as well right? Like you can no longer have like half baked brand on the shelf. And I think that's, it's so important to realize that because previously one could start a brand in their home kitchen and kind of dabble in the industry and, and see how it goes. And I think it's harder and harder to do that. And so I I do say that with like a big disclaimer, right? Like I don't want to discourage anyone from pursuing their passion of starting a business, but you have to be savvy and you have to do your research. So you're bringing a brand, again, a brand to the marketplace and not just a product line, right? Um, Because buyers are so savvy now. Everybody's like online, like looking up reviews and figuring out where they can order your product and really like digging deep into, into your brand. It's no longer like, um, it's no longer easy. Yeah. 
So that's one. The other thing, I mean, I th- we haven't really talked about this, but I think it is really important to acknowledge the rise of online shopping um, and e-commerce. And, and one of the things that, that I really like to emphasize is that most of the growth that we have seen with our retail ready brands, when they think about online sales is really that rise in wholesale platforms. So like the thrive markets of the world or good eggs or, you know, any, any of your many, many online platforms that are now selling groceries and, and realizing that that's still wholesale. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we talk about a lot in inside of retail ready is whether you're pitching to a digital platform and like pursuing that e-commerce route, or you are put pitching to a brick and mortar, it's still a real person on the other end who's making a decision about your product line. So you still have to convince that real person to carry your brand on their digital or physical shelf. Obviously, direct-to-consumer exploded in 2020 as well. I think people were much more willing to um, go through a little bit of effort to find the brand that they loved. Um, but we didn't see D2C explode in in every single category in Retail Ready. It was just it was very specific categories that were more, almost more functional for, for people than... Yeah than anything else. Did you guys see that too? Yeah, we definitely saw that too. Um, yeah, the better for you, especially when so many things were out of stock. Yeah, totally. Like we had one, one brand in retail ready and, you know, I'll just say that they're, they're a honey brand and they had really high D to C sales in April of 2020. And they were really excited, right? They're like, oh my God, we've never had this much traffic to our website. This is amazing. Like we are like flying through our honey. This is incredible. Like we are set for a great 2020, (laughs) you know, and this was like after COVID hit. So like, you know, and then sure enough, like May came and June came and they were like, our sales, our online sales, our direct to consumer sales are back to normal, right? Like they're, they dried up again. And of course it's because you know, the category, like think about how fast, how quickly you go through a jar of honey. You're not like reordering every two weeks. And like at the end of the day, honey is not a, not necessarily a product that we need to go individually to that beekeeper's website to purchase necessarily, depending on where we live maybe, but uh, it really varied category to category. Yeah. Awesome. Well, one of our favorite questions to ask is, because we like to be inspired and because we want to know about innovative new products and brands, what are your favorite CPG brands at this time and why? This is a really hard question for me. I know I'm like, do I only say retail ready students? Like, how am I going to narrow this down? But um, can I give a couple? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to give, I'm going to give three brands that I, that I really love with the disclaimer that all of them are female founders and two of them are in retail ready. And one is just a a friend of mine. So I love, and they're all Bay area. I'll give that disclaimer too. Cause I had to, I had to narrow down somehow. Right. (laughs) So I love Kube nice cream. You guys, this is the most delicious coconut based ice cream that I have ever had. It is the only raw cold pressed coconut ice cream without synthetic chemicals. I mean, they are just 
absolutely incredible. And the reason why I love Kube nice cream, like over uh, the other like ice cream brands in my orbit is because they are, so it's a, a black woman and man as the co-founders, uh, husband and wife, and they are using Kube to take a stand against racial injustices. They are completely controlling their supply chain and their production line, and they are hiring BIPOC workers in their, like literally in their own production facility to help, you know, create jobs in their community in Oakland and and really like solving it from the ground up. I also love them because they don't, I don't want to say they don't care about wholesale, but like, they're like, they're like, we sell thousands of pints direct to consumer of a, you know, a frozen product where people are literally pre-ordering and coming to our like little pop-up to pick up our ice cream every week. And they don't need wholesale right now. And that's okay. Right. Like they just have created a business model where like wholesale is not important to them right now. So they can be really, really selective about which wholesale accounts to go into. So I love them. They're, they're amazing. Like really, 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 really smart CPG people. And then the two other, I love goldmine adaptogens. I don't know if you guys, either of you ladies take adaptogens daily, but I will, I, I will swear I will swear that that is the reason why I have had like a pretty stress-free 2020 is because I take my daily. Oh, tell me more. (laughs) Stress-free. I'm going to get the ice cream. I'm going to get stress-free from adaptogens. Seriously. And the reason why I like them is because they, again, they're really controlling their supply chain and understand that most products that have adaptogens in them in the United States are really like, again, I was going to swear, but um, like uh, not well sourced and they are like, you know, full of pesticides. They are like grown in conditions that you would not want your food to come from or your people to be working in those conditions. And they're usually like imported adaptogens. Um, so I love that Goldmine is sourcing all of their adaptogens domestically um, and really, really understanding that, that, their consumer is looking for that uh, from from the product. Really like that transparency throughout the supply chain. And then finally is Moonshot Snacks. Do you guys know this brand? No, I've never heard of it. Okay. So I get, I'm going to give you a big disclaimer. So you can order these online there. It's like a cracker company. It's pretty new, but if you order them and eat them, you will become addicted. Like there is no going back once you like eat their like version of Cheez-Its. Uh-oh. So the reason why I like them <laughs> is because they are a carbon neutral company and they have like put a stake in the ground. Their like tagline is that they are like climate friendly snacks. And like, that is just, I feel like we need more brands to be so, again, mm. so transparent in their values specifically. I mean, I'm, it's a value that I'm aligned with, with fighting climate change, but like to have a brand that is so, so clear about what you are doing, what are you, you are supporting when you purchase this product is really cool to me. Oh, I love that. It's not like high nutrition or like good for you snacks. It's climate friendly snacks. Hey, yeah. I want to try it though. Yeah. Oh my that. God. It's so good. It's founded by yeah. this wonderful woman. Again, a, a black woman named Julia Collins. And she is just, she again, she is just so brilliant. They've got a great marketing strategy um, and a really, really fun, playful playful brand. You guys would love it. It's cute. Ooh, we're, we're going to follow all of these brands. We're going to purchase from them. I'm like, does ice cream shit all the way here? (laughs) This is my weekend. Like, 
I know. I'm like friendly cheese it. Nice cream and stress-free. I know. I've like painted this picture where I'm just like lounging around stress-free eating like <laughs> cheese hits and ice cream, coconut ice cream all day long. Someone's got to Photoshop yeah, that. That's the life. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> awesome. Well, Allie, it's been such a joy to have you. So oh. sad that our time's up. We could just keep going for days. Where did it um, go? I feel like that was so quick. I know. <laughs> Well, would you like to leave the audience with a link or a call to action, a final statement? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love, I'm going to do two. So first off, um, I am most active on Instagram. So come and send me a DM if you are watching this. I love following new brands. So shoot me a DM. I'm at it's alley ball. I'm sure you guys can link it in, in notes or something, but let me know who you are and I'll, I'll give you a follow back and, and see what you're up to with your brand. So that's number one. And then number two is I always love to give people my retail roadmap. So I've got a free PDF. It is my nine steps to building a brand that flies off the retail shelf. It'll recap a little bit of what we talked about today. It'll talk about again, like more of the mistakes that I see people make, but that retail roadmap is key. If you are thinking about pursuing wholesale accounts. So you can find that on my website. It's at alleyball.com slash roadmap. And again, thank you guys for having me. This was so fun. Thank you so much, Allie. Ooh, My Social Circle is a CPG agency-driven podcast based out of Austin, Texas. We're excited to share more behind-the-scene insights, chats with industry leaders, and whatever else we learn along the way. Follow us on Instagram at umaymarketing or check out our website, umaymarketing.com. Catch you back here soon.